Hello to all my Wildish Wise Women listeners. I'm excited to bring you this podcast episode with Lisbeth White, who will be talking about her poetry journey. You'll really enjoy hearing her not only talk about what she's done and and what her writing means to her, but she'll read a little bit of her work, which is really lovely to listen to. I'm also here to announce that my Patreon is officially launched and you can join as a patron now or later, whenever you like, or if you'd like to just keep listening for free, that's fine too. This podcast will always be free to the community, but I've recently launched a Patreon, which is a platform for creators to get paid for their work. And in addition to releasing lots more podcast episodes in the future, I'm adding some components to this community, which include a monthly virtual women's circle and some workshops led by past podcast guests. So if you've been listening and you enjoy this content, I would really appreciate your financial support so that I can continue to offer more awesome interviews. Uh, There's other ways to get involved, as I mentioned, with the circles and the education component. So please, when you get a chance, visit me at patreon.com slash wildishwisewomen. Official content starts in August, but if you sign up now, the Patreon doesn't charge until the first of the month. And I really hope you'll join this community. I'm looking forward to offering even more. There's some opportunities for sponsorship if you're not able to join, but you'd like to attend the circles. And also each month we'll be donating to a local or perhaps international, national women's organization. We'll switch it up each month. Thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate all of your support. And without further ado, please enjoy Lisbeth's interview. I am super stoked to be talking with Lisbeth White today. She is a writer, an expressive arts therapist, an energy healer, currently based in the Puget Sound area of the Pacific Northwest. In both Lisbeth's creative and healing work, she explores and celebrates the poignant and potent relationship between women of color and the natural world. Today, Lisbeth is going to be exploring her process of writing poetry and how it's changed everything about the way she lives her life, the way she heals, and the way she connects with other people. Welcome, Lisbeth. Oh, thank you. That was great. That sounded wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) So good to hear that that about yourself, right? (laughs) I know. I had a moment where I was like, oh, wow. This is a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can't wait to catch up with you. But before we launch into this great topic, We'll just take a moment to connect um, with each other and with the people that are listening. So if you can just get your spine straight and ground in whatever way is safe for you, just take a couple of breaths in and out. As we create this connection to explore Maybe a little healing happening this morning. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and may each woman who needs the wisdom of this call find her way here. May we speak from the heart and create a wave of peace that radiates out on a global level. May each woman remember her sacred nature and feel the value of her presence in this world. 
Elizabeth, what is your favorite thing about being a woman? Wow, all of the things. Um, <laughs> it's, it's really, I think I've, I've had a newfound appreciation for my body in the ways that it is still very mysterious. Um, mm. And I think that's, to me, that directly corresponds to what I love most about being a woman, also just the feminine aspect of being, right? This, there's this quality that's a little bit elusive and mysterious. You know, there's like mm-hmm. going into the dark void or wherever that happens to be <laughs> and finding yeah. those places in the body and the psyche. And um, there's something that feels so adventurous about that um, that I've really been leaning into lately. So I love that. Yeah. Picturing like the wild witchy woman that is emerging yeah. from the cave. <laughs> Absolutely. (laughs) Okay, so for those who are listening, Elizabeth and I used to work together um, at a group uh, therapy practice in the Bay Area. And honestly, that's the last time we really officially connected. So I'm as excited as anyone to hear sort of the path that unfolded for, for you. And so you were... Um, you were, you were done. Like you, she's such a good therapist. You guys so amazing. So, so good. Um, but I know you were just like, I have to get out of here. I have to do something. (laughs) And so maybe just whatever feels true, whatever feels like you want to share, just kind of tell us what that looked like. Yes. Yeah. I was, I was pretty done at that point. It's kind of um, funny. Um, it was a good call for myself too, because uh-huh. actually I've been able to come back around and be a therapist in a way that feels a lot more aligned for me oh, um, I'm since sure that's then. Amazing, good yeah. feeling. Yeah. Um, but at that point, I, you know, I'd been working as a therapist really, you know, just full time for probably about ten, eleven years, mm-hmm. um, and I'd had this this period of time where I was, um, well, two things can, can kind of converged at this period of time. I moved down to the Santa Cruz mountains, right? So I had this chance and I was living in a yurt. Yes, <laughs> I'm chance. remembering that now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there was lots of complaints about the wood stove. Um, <laughs> I was living in a yurt, um, but it was really amazing in that it afforded me this um, chance to really reconnect deeply with nature, which is a huge part of my growing up, which we'll probably get into. Um, but that was always just a, an incredible relationship and resource that I had growing up. And, you know, the Bay is is the bay and it's it's wonderful in all of its glory and it's also very congested and um so being in the santa cruz mountains area really got me to a place where i was reconnecting with nature which to me means just slowing down and really deeply listening right and and not being so separate from the elements and the seasons and all of those natural rhythms so that was one thing that was going on as i was tapping into the natural rhythms around me and then finding my own kind of natural rhythm and pace um and seeing where the way that I was working was not aligned with that. And then the other thing that was happening at that time was I also was getting back into dance. And I, you know, was lucky enough to grow up with the creative arts in my life since a very young age. You know, I started dancing when I was maybe five or six. And then I started writing poetry when I was probably about 10 or 11. Um, And so I've always, you know, that has also always been a resource and I was reconnecting with dance and and really opening up to the creative process, um, which I love, which is why I ended up becoming an expressive arts therapist in particular. Um, But the creative process to me actually does 
now that I'm thinking and talking about it, speak to what I love so much about the feminine and, and being a woman is there's this place where you have to kind of follow the energy of of the creative flow as it's happening, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to be very attentive and, pre- and be willing to be present and be willing to surrender and be willing to bring all of yourself. Um, and so opening up to that, uh, I was also just aware that there was no way that I could keep working in the way that I was working and... Um, you know, have trem- as much access as I wanted and needed at that moment for my own creative creative practice and creative life. And and there was a moment actually, I did start writing again when I was mm-hmm. living in Santa Cruz because I had the space and because I was tapping into my natural rhythms and because I was starting to um, go with my own creative flow a little bit more. And there was a book idea that was coming in. And then I was like, well, I can't write a book if I'm working the way that I'm working. Yeah. Um, and that felt primary. And I had a moment where I was just like, I don't want to, I don't want to re- have a moment of regret here where I'm always like, I wonder if I, what kind of book I could have written if I had given myself the time. So, you know, I kind of made this big leap to give myself the time <laughs> to do that. That's so cool. I love it. And I, as you were talking, I had this recollection of, um, when I got hired, Lisbeth was already part of the practice and it was, it was customary and it was actually, you know, a nice thing that the, the owner of the practice would make sure that all the therapists could sort of vet the incoming therapist. And so you and I met and I remember you had this moment where you told me, well, just so that you're aware, I mean, I respect anyone that, that is this way, but I'm not a career therapist. Like, this is not my <laughs> life. I have other passions. And you said it with a lot of conviction and a teeny bit of guilt like (laughs) I'm so sorry if this is what you're expecting of me and like sorry you know and I and I was like well that's cool like this is just a job at the end of the day I mean we can be super passionate about it and still be good people and good therapists but it doesn't have to be our life (laughs) and I don't know if you remember that or what was going on in that moment but it struck me I was like oh okay no I totally respect that that's that's authentic and true. <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. Thank you for that phrasing. I was trying to remember. I was like, what do you call people who are professional therapists, but like forever? <laughs> Career therapists. That's what I was using. Yeah, yeah I think yeah, I think that's how you said it. And I totally got what you meant. And, right. and you were just, I think you were just trying to say, I'm, I'm more than that. There's so much to me. I'm multifaceted. And this is only one aspect of what I can offer the world. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, so, okay, you took off and went to some tropical island for a poetry <laughs> intensive or something, right? I think that was like yes. your first stop when you left the bay. Yeah, so I did that. This is, oh, this is going to be kind of fun. I haven't talked about this this aspect of my journey in such a long time. So I it was really kind of magical the way that it all unfolded in that I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to dedicate time to write this book, um, which is a lot about earth and ancestry and healing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's, I just got pulled to these places that were about earth and ancestry and healing for me. Um, and one of the first, one of the first places I went was to, uh, Callaloo, which is a writer's workshop for, um, folks of the African diaspora, uh, has several, uh, writing workshops they do in different places. They do um, one in the U.S., one in England, and one in Barbados. Um, 
<laughs> and yeah. So, <laughs> I, I mean, naturally. <laughs> I mean, just get to the island if I can get to an island. Yeah. Um, but I also specifically wanted to go to Barbados because my, um, my father's side of the family is from South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, my grand, you know, all of my extended family is in South Carolina. And there's a really strong connection between Barbados and the Carolinas in terms of the, sl- the Atlantic slave trade. Mm-hmm. Um, and Barbados being one of the first ports often um, that people would be brought to. And then the Carolinas actually imported that whole system of slavery that was happening in Barbados, which was an English system Mm -hmm. up to the Carolinas. So there's actually, you know, there's books and you can track the architecture in the way that, you know, just there's a lot of history about that. Um, So I went there very specifically to, you know, kind of just trace a little bit of this line. Um, So that was one of my first kind of international stops in terms of I'm I'm going to say researching. I'm using that in air quotes because I don't I wasn't necessarily like the facts come would come later. Mm-hmm. But usually I was going just to kind of tap in and feel what I could feel of the history, like in an embodied yeah. way of the place. Right? Well, it sounds like you were moved by spirit and intuition. And like you said, the facts just sort of fell into place. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went there and then I. Um, you know, I'd left the bay, so I was like, well, let me just kind of hop around. I wanted to go to the East Coast, again, because of family, a family there, and I grew up on the West Coast and haven't had a, any extended time over in the South. Um, so I was in the South for a little bit. Um, I went to Belgium, actually, for a bit. Um, so I'm black, I'm black mixed, I identify as black mi- mixed race. Um, My father's side of the family is black and my mother's side of the family is white. And uh, there's Flemish uh, ancestry on through my grandfather, Mm -hmm. through my grandfather's side. So I traveled over to Belgium also because I had uh, been awarded a writing residency in Belgium. And then a few months before the residency was supposed to happen, it was a very small residency that actually ended up having to, to close it down early for the season. Um, but I had already made all these plans. So they actually helped me to arrange some, some places to go there. This is what I mean, where I was like, Oh, this is like kind of magical. Right. So instead of being, um, which I'm sure the residency would have been wonderful too, but I would have been in this very contained space. I had that same amount of time to actually be going through the landscape, the whole landscape of Belgium. Yeah. You had more freedom Uh, that way. Yeah. Yeah. Which was also really important. Um, and, and some really interesting things came up around, you know, so much of my focus with ancestry has been around the African American side of my family. Um, partially also because, you know, I study some of the African traditional religions and, and ancestor reverence is for one of the first tenants, right? Like mm-hmm. these are the first folks that you go to, um, when you're seeking kind of spiritual connection. Uh, but when I was in Belgium, I was like, oh, wow, you know, I'm actually, I'm also really responsible for my white ancestors also, right? And responsible in the way of, um, you know, what I believe about healing is that you can't actually heal backwards and forwards in time, right? And that, you know, yeah, so I focus, my healing work now really focuses on ancestral trauma. And so, you know, there's some the Belgians were really big into the slave trade, <laughs> right? Oh, wow. 
Yeah, and in and in the like the exploitation of Africa, and so it was very interesting to be there, like as a as a black woman, and be feeling a very different sense of not maybe not different, but a very specific sense of history in that place, mm-hmm. and being and you know recognizing I had blood ties there, and then I had there's this other side of my family that has this whole different relationship, and you know what does it mean to be this point of convergence in my blood, right? Yeah. And how am I responsible? Responsible for healing um, some of these ancestors that have done, you know, pretty atrocious things to humanity. Yeah. Wow. Um, so it was, yeah, it was big. So that was a big. That was the first year <laughs> I was. I was you kind just, of just traveling. Just your toe in, you know, ever so know. lightly. <laughs> I know. It's like I'm gonna go write poems, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> I'm in this. I'm in this amazing yeah. swirl. Well, what we know about the artist's life is that it, it has its really highs and really wonderful, inspiring moments. And then it's got these dark times, right? Where you really have to dive into where the inspiration is and where the healing lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's that surrender piece, right? Like, are nice. you willing? Am I willing? Do I have the the skill and the presence and the willingness to follow yeah. all that's going to be involved in this? Right. Mm-hmm. Because we have this, this, way we think it's going to look and then it never ever looks that way nope <laughs> <laughs> so uh, wow well and I think that speaks to when you said kind of that dichotomy of feelings that that as you identify as mixed race that you do have to own both sides of that and it sounds like you went into that a little further than you had before yes yeah you know I think it it always has been in my consciousness and awareness because I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, which is, and I grew up in Portland, which is, yeah. I think one of the, I think it was called one of the whitest small cities in America or something like that. Uh-huh. And of course, Oregon has, has a pretty um, racist history in its yeah. founding. We just went there, my husband and I, for the first time, and I hadn't realized that, but we did, we did encounter that and had some conversations around it. Yeah. So you were well yeah. aware. It was just um, maybe... This is a, a un, unfolding another layer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it makes me. This might be a little bit of a tangent, but I think what because I grew up there, and this just kind of goes back to how much I felt the natural world was a resource for me. Mm-hmm. Um, because I grew up there, and there was kind of this sense of feeling a little isolated and alienated that I wasn't able to articulate growing up because, you know, you're just swimming in what you're swimming in. Yeah. And it really takes some deep levels of reflection um, or somebody being able to say back to you, oh, this might, you know, this is what I'm seeing or this might be what you might be experiencing. And if you don't have that, it's really hard to articulate what you're going through, right, mm-hmm. at a young age. Um uh, but because of that, and also because my grandfather happens to be uh, or was a forestry engineer, um, we I spent a lot of time outside and in the woods and like in those old growth forests and on the lakes and just, you know, these beautiful, beautiful places that just felt like such wonderful places of refuge. Because, mm-hmm. again, nature, nature is nature is doing its thing. And when you sit there <laughs> and be with it, <laughs> then you just get to be a part of nature also. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you get to experience yourself as as a a natural being, right? A natural occurrence in, yeah, in nature. Yeah. Because I was able to be in that kind of space, mm-hmm. it, it really opened up this um, capacity to really deeply engage with landscape. And so that 
has also come up in my writing, but also to me, it's just another way of knowing. And, and I think it's also, you know, this is where it overlaps with my creative process and the, the trips that I was just talking about is that there was a way that poetry opened up my senses for sure. And then also having this relationship to land has allowed me to go to places and really feel into like, oh, what's the energy? What can I, what's the energetic history of this land? Mm. What can I pick up from that? And again, the facts come later, right? That's my favorite way of engaging in landscape, but really tuning into like, what's the feeling? What is there tension in this landscape? And, yeah. you know, what's my association to that? And um, is there ease or freedom? And, you know, what, what might that mean? And I wonder where that's come from. And then getting to know landscape, kind of from the inside out, right? Yeah. Just hearing mm-hmm. you say that makes my nervous system relax. Because I'm picturing little Lisbeth having that tool early on, even if you didn't quite know how to utilize it yet. Right. You were training your body early on to know the deep connection to nature and and what it affords you in terms of freedom to explore and to feel and to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's so important. This is part of why the work that I do now and... And especially for women of color, because, you know, through this process, what I've really come to realize, and I don't think this is new information at all. I think there's actually a lot of black feminist um, uh, theory that that talks about this mm-hmm. um, in particular, but that we essentially, you know, what we do to the earth is the same way that what we, how we treat the body of the earth is the same way that we treat the body of black women or brown women or women of color, yeah. right? Right. It's the same parallels in terms of kind of exploitation of resource or um, consuming, right, or objectification. Yeah. Um, so, one, you know, my favorite way to do healing work now is to really work with women of color and really reconnect to earth in a very, very deep way, right, and mm-hmm. rebuild, rebuild that very um, natural, resourceful connection mm-hmm. um, and, and to help heal the body of the earth and through that relationship with women of color and help heal women of color through that relationship yeah, to the body yeah. of the earth. Right? It's, it's a little akin to talking about healing across generations. I mean, this mm-hmm. is like in, in this moment in present time, but it's still uh, healing across, um, across systems. Right. Mm-hmm. Wow. Across time and space, right. <laughs> Getting out of the linear. <laughs> it's all, it's all connected. It's all now. Right. right. Mm. So does that mean sessions out in nature? It does. I mean, that's my favorite way to work. Sometimes Mm -hmm. when I can, you know, I love being out in nature. And there was a period of time actually before I left the Bay where I was doing a group where I was taking um, women out into nature. I love that group. I I think I do remember that. That's so beautiful. Yeah. When I can't go out in nature, what I really look at is like, okay, well, how do we bring, you know, nature into, into where we are? So yes. that's transformed into like, oh, let's go. What's, let's, what happens if we go into deep study or inquiry about yeah. um, elements, the elements, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're easily accessible to us too, right? Not everybody has access to nature, but. That's true. But you are, and you're also very skilled at leading guided imagery and connection in that way. So I'm sure that that can be a tool also. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. So yeah. I love all of this. It's 
just so many other questions. <laughs> but I would love for you to just tell us a little bit more about the poetry piece in general, um, or specifically how you want to address yes. it, about how that showed up. I mean, you've already talked about the journey that you took to to explore these places, but how did the poetry land in your system and in your healing? Yeah, great. Um, so I had a wonderful, wonderful auntie when I was growing up. I love mm-hmm. aunties. Let me just give a moment to like shout out all the aunties in the world. Oh, like it's, yes. it's such a, it can be such a precious relationship. Mm-hmm. I think it's really beautiful. Yeah. Um, so I, I really owe my introduction to the world of poetry to this auntie who she herself was just this very deeply wise, wild woman. And she later became my writing mentor. Um, mm-hmm. Do you want to say poet. her name? Yes, her name was Kim Caldwell. Okay. She actually passed away um, when I was 18. So I got her just for this really like poignant, pivotal period of my life, Mm -hmm. like like pre-puberty up through adolescence. And it was, you know, just in some ways really probably saved me. Yeah, that's a rough time for anybody. It's a a really good time to have an auntie. Yeah. Kim Caldwell, E.K. Caldwell was her writing name, and she mm-hmm. uh, was a poet and um, a writer, uh, a political writer a little bit too, and also a very spiritually active woman. Mm-hmm. And I was actually kind of this like quiet and daydreamy little child. Um, mm-hmm. And I have a very early memory of her talking to me um, about poems as like snippets of dreams. And I know it just, I love it to this day. And she, yeah. So she would, she would say to me, well, you know, just next time you're daydreaming, see if you can catch a little bit of a poem. (laughs) And I mean, isn't that sweet? I just, (laughs) this made me like completely adore her. And I really, um, again, you know, didn't have the words in that moment, but now I can see how she was able to, to um, take this piece of myself and my imagination that could somewhat make me feel a little bit odd or shy um, and turn it into the special capacity that I had, right? Yes. That I could go, that I would be out on this fantastical liminal imagistic space and that there was something in that that um, could be turned into poems, but also could just be brought into the world in, in a form of connection, right? That there was mm. actually like some some symbolism or some meaning or, or something that... Um, might be meaningful that I could collect from this other realm of like fantasy and daydreaminess and that's amazing and 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 bring it in right uh-huh. it's really deep yes <laughs> um and so yeah it really you know and so ne- then as I traveled in lo- along and studied poetry in these different capacities you know through academia mm-hmm. I was really able to pull on that initial seed as like oh poetry is can be a sp- very specific way of knowing right mm. it's not necessarily you know like intellectual even though there is intellectual poetry right um but it's this way of of being able to know and connect to like again like another realm of meaning um and it's it's valid it's a way of knowing that's valid and it can be valued and it's just another like beautiful way of intelligence um i love that so much yeah 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 that was a really good like a <laughs> solid catch on her part. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that way. you, you kind of hit it. You can study things 
But I feel sometimes when that's all you have is just the facts. And, and this can happen, I feel, like when you're studying how to be a therapist, for instance, just because we have that in common. It can be very right. rote. If you're just like, oh, this is what the book says, it can be kind of robotic. And when we remove the intuition, the spirit, the flow, the, um, like you said, this like otherworldly aspect from things um, like healing work, like poetry, like art, uh, I think it, it loses some of its it's magic. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Because the magic lives in that little place that's that borders on unknown. Right. Mm-hmm. Or even if we even if we know it, we're not sure. We're not exactly sure how we know it, but we know we know it. Right. <laughs> yes. So. Yeah. And the book wants us to prove it or, you know, edu- you know, the education side of it. The learning is, well, how do you know, you know, well, you just know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. And that actually when I so I did study poetry in undergrad. I got my BFA in poetry and I remember feeling a little bit of pain during that period because I felt like, well, you know, there's really something to be said to learning craft to like support, support your vision out into the world. Sure. Right. It, it makes me think about um, the way that I kind of conceptualized manifestation, which is, you know, like the, the feminine, actually it's like the, the child with the inspiration, the divine child with the inspiration comes first. And then the feminine with like the deep intuitive, like vision comes next. Mm. And then the masculine principle with the form and the shape comes to like structure it. Okay. So that like, get it done, like right. <laughs> drive it home. <laughs> right. So that the vision can come into the world. Uh-huh. Right. So that's how I, that's how I love to think of craft in terms of any of the arts or artistic skill or anything we learn any you know, technical skill at it, right? Mm. Is that hopefully it comes in therapy too, right? Hopefully the structure comes in to support the intuitive vision. But so often what happens in academia is that we start taking the structure for the thing itself, Mm. right? Um, And so that's what I felt when I studied academically, you know, and this isn't the case in all programs, so I don't want to, you know, (laughs) say that, but in my experience, um, it, there was so much emphasis on, on like form and, and craft and structure that I, it was hard for me to hold on to, um, really hold on to what I knew about poetry as this other way of knowing. Mm-hmm. Um, so then when I was able to take this process of, of that's still, you know, it's it just been a couple of years since I kind of left the therapy in the world in the way that I was doing it and, and entered more into the poetry world again. But for me, it really was this reclaiming and ownership of like, I know I need to like trust this way of knowing, mm. you know, even though it's not, it's not what's primarily reflected to me as the way that you're supposed to go ahead and live your life. Right. I really like, this is a gift of mine and I really need to um, follow it and like lead my life from, from this way of knowing from this place. Mm. Um, and for me actually as, as a, as like a black mixed race woman of color, that feels kind of, kind of like really deep liberation work right Mm -hmm. and a little bit revolutionary for me to be in this world where I'm already kind of my authority is already pretty often questioned right and Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of code switching in terms of like oh let me jump into my intellect because this is the way that, that the mainstream culture is um you know, communicating and operating. So for me to to get to this place at this point in my life where I'm just like, no, I'm I'm just gonna go with like my my own my own knowing first. <laughs> yeah. Like as a black woman feels feels really 
it's sometimes really risky and sometimes I doubt myself around it, but it also feels really, really important for like actualizing myself, I think. Yeah. And for your offering, cause, cause I'm hearing these are, this is your healing, but then this is your offering to the world and they're interwoven. Right. right. Yeah. Um, for women of color and, and also for the feminine too, you know, whoever identifies with that, because I mm-hmm. think that's the way, that's the way that's been, you know, over millennia of, of patriarchy and, and hierarchical structures and all those kinds of things. That's kind of the way of knowing that's been lost or, mm-hmm. um, just, you know, like under submission. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So for you to bring that to the forefront of your life, and and the way that you move through the world is revolutionary. Yeah, I hope so. It feels big. Yeah, <laughs> it feels big and it feels big and really good. <laughs> well, and if you're following your intuition and the feels, then they're right there. That that's your answer. <laughs> oh yeah, they are right there. Yeah. <laughs> the feeling the feelings are right there all the time. <laughs> No, this is totally a side note, but tell us about your little pup, Bolo. How's he doing? Oh, my goodness. Bolo is hanging in there really, really well. <laughs> so he he's a, an amazing road dog. You know, Aww. he's small, so he travels very easily. Yeah. And he, he definitely, you know, I checked in with him, and I was like, this is what I want to do. Are we in agreement? Can we do this? And <laughs> yeah. he's... he's down, and, you know, every once in a while, like now, you know, now we're... we're living in a van so he's a little bit like okay <laughs> this is a little rough yeah so i don't know how much longer we're gonna be he'll he'll tolerate van living but <laughs> <laughs> well it's you used crazy. to bring him into the therapy office and he'd just cocoon like he would just get into like a little cave of covers and yeah just the sweetest <laughs> yeah so now his whole house is just a little cave of, of cozy <laughs> uh yeah he's like he's got a little storage you know a little bed under the bed a little Aww. den <laughs> that's so sweet well I'm glad that he's been able to be your companion on this process because I'm sure I mean you said it's liberating it's you know empowering all these things but I don't know does it ever feel lonely Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It feels, it does. And yeah, I can't imagine not having a companion in that way. Mm-hmm. Right? If, even if it's not, a, you know, another human might be, that would be just more to negotiate. Right? But... <laughs> a little too much, but an animal, <laughs> yeah. we're good. <laughs> but the animal is really good. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is, it is lonely and there's, um, you know, of course, not in a bad way, but in this way where it's just like, oh, I'm off the, I'm off the well-worn path. Right. Mm. And, um, and in some ways I don't have like the external markers of success that, Mm. that we're so used to, um, orienting ourselves on. Right. So there's a way where it feels, I feel sometimes like a little bit of an outlier, um, but that mostly happens just in connection with like human society. When I feel into just like the world as a whole. <laughs> it's only in comparison to what everyone else is doing that you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> right, 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 right. Oh. And there are, you know, there's a pretty good subculture of nomads in this country. Just <laughs> Of course, especially now in this generation mm-hmm. where people are coming alive to the idea that we don't have to be career anythings. Right. <laughs> we don't have right. to, <laughs> you know, it doesn't, our work doesn't have to define us. We don't have to be stuck at the same job for 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'm guessing that this is part of the path 
that it's not all meant to be rainbows and, and puppies. Right. Right. Because, you know, if you want to, if you're going to give yourself to all of it, you've got to give yourself to all of it. Yeah. <laughs> and then what would you write about if it was all good? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm all for bliss poetry. I yeah. Think that's great. Of course. <laughs> also. Yeah. I, I actually, I, it's the both. It's, it's all good. Cause I think that's the outlet. I've heard from writers that say, like, I actually lead a really happy life. Sometimes my writing is dark and that's where I put it. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So that I can, I can find the bliss. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is so wonderful. I think that it feels like a good time for you to read some of your poetry. Would you do that for us? Absolutely. I'm so excited to hear you read it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I'm going to read... I'm going to read this this smaller poem that's actually a part of a series. Mm. Um, so, so I'll say a little bit about, about the series. Yeah, please this, do. Uh, the series of the poems is called Awakening of Stones, mm. um, which I actually found out is uh, part of a Rilke, Rainier Maria Rilke quote, Awakening mm. of Stones, which mm-hmm. I didn't realize when I titled that, but I was like, oh, perfect. <laughs> um, but this this series came out of um, a particular story about a young black man who was convicted of, of this crime when he was um, 16 and just kind of the, the funkiness of the legal system around that. Um, and I was really feeling into what it what it feels like to walk around in a world not feeling like it's you know, the set up for your well-being, right? Mm-hmm. At the very, at the very basic. Yeah. Um, and, and then what, it, what's the repair for that, right? Like what's the, what's the corrective kind of story? Um, in my mind, it's, it's understanding that you, that the world, the world, the world loves you, right? The world considers mm-hmm. you a beloved. Mm-hmm. Um, and what would it be like if we knew that come, if we, which I think we do know that coming in and then gets lost in in kind of the human suffering (laughs) that can happen um so that's part of so the awakening of stones that was the impetus of it and there's a whole series and it's set up actually as as a research paper in terms of you know what if we did know this what let me go in with like a research lens like how how would we understand this and what would it look Mm. like so um this poem is is the hypothesis or the central argument of that research paper Okay, Awakening of Stones, Hypothesis, Central Argument. In the new mythology, you are always whole. If and when you fracture, it is not a part. A part does not exist here. You will know that upon entry. You will know each fissure as it breaks open your life. You will know the cracked edges of your splendor. You will know the steady tear and repair of your muscles. It is true, the work is letting go while pulling back together. It is true, the heart is broken less by pain, more often by the beauty we fear we cannot offer. You are born knowing how to make the sounds of your heart. You are born knowing how to make your hands into wings. I love those last two lines so much. Thank you. Thank you. So beautiful. Thank you. So you've said so many wonderful things and just so many gems I know people are going to really um, pocket and and keep close to their heart. But if someone out there is thinking, gosh, I want to write, I want to try my hand at poetry, 
Is there any advice, any first step you might offer to someone in that position? Wow. Yes. Um, I'm flashing on somebody telling me the only way to write is to write. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess guess that's the first thing. Um, So just to write. But I I think the other thing that I have also found like extremely helpful is um, really paying attention to how much listening is so important to writing, right? Mm. That so making time to just listen deeply, whatever that means, whether that means you, you know, if you have a meditation practice, you go into meditation and then you write after that, or you go on a hike and let yourself get lost in the woods and then you write after that, or you know, after yoga or something where where you have landed um, in your your internal landscape. Um, I think opens you up to, to the external landscape also in a, in a huge way, um, mm. but deep listening. So whatever that, whatever that means or looks like, I would encourage you to drop in there first and then follow, follow what moves from there. Beautiful. And that, yeah. that lends itself to the beautiful advice of your, your auntie about the dream space and just kind of plucking yeah. them out of the fantasy world. <laughs> yes. Mm daydream that's my advice just yeah. daydream <laughs> <laughs> oh, which that I mean sometimes that happens in meditation or yoga or nature we just kind of lose our thoughts in the moment yeah absolutely wonderful well is there anything else that you want to say anything that you didn't get to share that feels important that you'd like to have people hear I don't think so. I feel like I talked a lot. You know, I'm not usually on the side of <laughs> speaking so much. So. Yeah, it's true. It was so <laughs> lovely to hear all of that, though. I, I'm, I can't wait to re-listen. I'm always in the moment when we're interviewing, and then I'm like, yay, and then I get to listen to it again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Down the line. Sweet. Well, before we wrap up, I just have a few questions that I ask just for fun. Um, is there one book that changed your life, Elizabeth? Ooh, um, oh my gosh. So, this has been the problem with being a nomad is that I can't seem to like, I just collect books everywhere I go. <laughs> um, where do you put them in your van? <laughs> I know that's the problem. Oh, okay. And it's like going to storage and my storage unit is probably absolutely all books right now. <laughs> As would um, mine be. <laughs> One book that changed my life. Um, this is that's really that's a, oh my gosh, that's such a challenging question. Um, there's there's two that are coming to my mind. Actually, one of them because Joy Harjo just you know is is now our U.S. poet laureate. I saw that just recently, yes, right? Very yes, cool. Yeah. Um, one and she was actually one of the first poets I I read when I was younger. Oh. Um, and I think. I think it was Horses Make a Landscape Look More Beautiful. It's one of her very early poetry books. But I remember reading that and just feeling like, oh, you can really talk about the earth that you see. (laughs) Because I think a lot of poetry I'd read before that was a lot of Rumi, which is, you know, I love Rumi. And also Rilke, who I mentioned before, Mm -hmm. um, like spiritual philosophical poetry, which is very, very beautiful. And, and Joy's poetry is not, not spiritual and philosophical, but there's just something that felt so grounded, Mm -hmm. um, and, and very like earth present, uh, 
and she was one of the first women women poets that I read too. So that wonderful. That's one that's coming to my mind. Yeah. Um, and then the other one is a, a <laughs> it's called Mara, Daughter of the Nile. It was a, a YA, a young adult fiction oh, book. Oh, sometimes those are so good. <laughs> oh my gosh, it was great. It was about this <laughs> this young woman in ancient Egypt, actually, who ended up being this double spy. And Ooh, I just, nice. I, I probably read that like every few months for a couple of years because <laughs> there was just something so you know, potent and powerful about seeing this, this young woman navigating these intense political places. <laughs> oh, I love it. And summer is such a good time for that kind of reading. You know, I, a couple summers ago, I revisited two of the books I read as a young girl and it was just, and they were both like had really strong in female characters at the, at the forefront. So it's kind of fun to yeah. Revisit yeah, those. and she and she was just um, she had actually I think she had actually been a slave. So she was really just working off what they would call like street smarts and mm-hmm. wits, right? But yeah. navigating this intense political game with like essentially her intuition. <laughs> right. Wow. Which is exactly what we've been talking about. <laughs> right. Um, and then, do you have a favorite yoga pose? A favorite yoga pose. Shockingly, I'm not a huge yoga practitioner, um, but the one that I do like is um, I do actually really like child's pose because there's something mm. about putting my forehead to the earth. Yeah. That just feels really sweet. <laughs> another another way to frame a question that I'd love to hear your answer on is how do you like to move your body? Oh, yes. I am a definite dancer. <laughs> <laughs> and now dancing out in nature, is that is that something that you like to practice? Um, I do. I do like to dance out in nature. My favorite way um, is actually through any of the African diasporic dances like Afro. Afro-Haitian is, is kind of my favorite. Um, but Afro-Brazilian um, Orisha dance also does this. And so does Afro-Cuban dance. Um, but they come again, they come through the African traditional religions where uh, the Orishas are, are essentially nature deities. And so you take on, you take on the movements that these particular Orisha make. So you get to kind of embody these elements of nature, um, while you're moving. It's really beautiful and powerful. And, um, yes, that's definitely my favorite way to move. That sounds lovely. Mm -hmm. And then who inspires you, Lisbeth? And these are great questions. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like simultaneously, I'm like flooded with all, with like all of these, all of these people. I guess I'll say this. I, um, I feel inspired right now by people who in my life who feel really clear about what they want hmm. and, um, who are almost kind of holding this, who are holding this very strong line of, I'm going to figure out how to do that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I have a couple of people who actually, I have a friend who recently just said something about, um, well, my job here is, is to be on the, the, the verge and the crack of human evolution. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> That's a statement of the emergence, right? Um, but it was very clear about, 
you know, this is what my, this is what my work is. And I'm going to figure out how to activate that in the world, Mm. even though there may not be like a a set plan or landscape for how to do that. But, oh, and that just takes us right back around to the trust and the surrender that you mentioned to go on the path to just heed whatever the call is, even if it doesn't take shape. Right, right. Right away. Yep. Oh, that's amazing. So how do we, I know you have your, your website. I'll link all the ways um, that people can connect um, the website and social media, but is there a place that we can specifically find your writings? So, um, oh goodness, not yet. I'm actually working with a mentor who's like, you need to get your writing website up. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, maybe here's the extra little push. (laughs) Yeah. So I will, I will definitely let you know when that happens. Okay. And Um, I will definitely link everyone to you when that time arrives. (laughs) Yeah. My instant, my Instagram, which is at earth Maven. Um, Mm -hmm. usually when I have new work, showing up somewhere I'll I'll put a link there okay, um, on my Instagram page for people Wonderful. to find it yeah. well thank you for your time and for sharing your journey and your beautiful soul it was really lovely to catch up and to hear what you've been doing in this world yes thank you so much and thanks for just offering such I've listened to some of your podcasts and I'm always just like yes there's awesome amazing women out there so thank you for curating such a wonderful space oh I'm I'm so honored to know these people you know I get I get inquiries sometimes about people that want to be on the show and it's just only people I know because then I know how amazing they are (laughs) so I feel really blessed to be surrounded by these incredible women whether it be across distances or, or, you know, local. So thank you. Can't wait to keep following your journey. Thank you. Thank you. Doing what you do and give Bolo a little kiss from me. I will. I will. Thanks, Jessalyn. Take care of yourself. (laughs) You too. Bye.